Welcome to your Optimal Personal Economy podcast with Justin Bennett. Your personal economy is your ability to create, protect, preserve, and utilize your wealth, your financial world. Justin will share strategies and stories to help you optimize your personal economy. Now, on to the show with Justin Bennett and co-host Matt Halloran. Hello and welcome to episode number five. Today we're going to talk about how you should stop thinking that rates of return are the only measures of success. So Justin and I are going to spend some time blowing your mind today for you to realize that what you think and what you are told as the measurement of success and the measure of success is actually not it. Justin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Matt. Hey, Justin, tell us what you're thinking about this topic and let's unpack this a little bit. I think what happens is that people generally have old money and are putting new money into investments. And oftentimes they don't fully understand what those investments are doing. They don't have a philosophy. They don't have an understanding and outlook around truly what those investments are doing and how they're playing a role for their lives. Or in some cases, really not playing a role, you know, in terms of what they really want. Well, when the markets are doing well, right, which in the case of when we've been recording this podcast, the markets have been going up for a long time. It's really not hard to do well, but what happens when the markets get a little squirrely? No doubt about it. So I think what happens is you got to go back to, um, you know, a little bit of a look back on the on the on the equity markets and you go back and, you know, we, we call it inflection points. I mean, there was times where the market, the specifically the S&P ran up 100 percent leading into the dot com crisis and then mm-hmm. it lost, you know, 40, 50 percent and then it ran back up and then the financial crisis. So since the 0809 financial crisis to where we stand today in 2017, the S&P is up almost 250 percent. So, I mean, you think back over the past seven, eight, nine years, I mean, everybody should be walking the street, patting themselves on the back because the markets have done nothing but gone up. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think what happens is people feel like, hey, we're just going to continue riding this uh, train in an in a, in a upward trajectory. And the reality is that, you know, at some point there's going to be uh, a little bit of a pullback. We just don't know when or to what extent. So I think, you know, investment management has to also be studied from what we call risk management, which mm-hmm. is really fundamentally understanding what your money's doing, what the investments are positioned for, how they are ultimately going to play into your overall personal economy and start to realize that, there's a big difference, right, Matt? There's a big difference between investing and trading. Yes. And I think that needs to be understood because, you know, people generally, you know, have their little uh, side account in Scott Trade or Vanguard or uh, whatever it might be. And they're like, oh, well, I do it myself. I invest my own money. I'm like, oh, great. You know, can you tell me a little bit about it? And they're like, well, you know, I bought this stock or this mutual fund and, you know, I'm just selling out of this. And I'm like, oh, it sounds like you guys are kind of like, you know, trading and not investing, which is fine, but there's a big difference between the two, right? Because, you know, trading a lot of times is, is a hobby right. uh, for people that want to just play with their money um, or it, it's it's very, very high risks type of a game when it's done in a professional setting. We generally uh, like to tech, talk to clients about what it means to be investing and have that longer term view and recognize that it's not an hour to hour, day to day, week to week kind of a view, but it's rather, you know, a longer term view. And by definition, we generally say that's five years or more. Okay. 
how does this apply to costs and liquidity and big picture? I mean, so you're talking about taking the long view, right, which is really important. How do all of those come into play when you're talking about this long-term investment philosophy? Well, investments, no different than any other money decision, have to be looked at in the context of an overall personal economy. And as we covered on an earlier episode, Matt, that, you know, what it means to be liquid and how that plays a major, major role in someone's personal economy, you know, we don't want to look at investments as as a means of liquidity because that would suggest that they never have a bad day. But we know that investments could suffer uh, a pullback at times and will suffer a pullback at times. So investments should not be looked at as liquidity. Liquidity is what we talked about in an earlier episode. Yeah. Uh, but but I think what we also need to realize is that there's, uh, you know, investments aren't free, you know, so contrary to what people might think or feel like there's there's cost like they, it costs money to buy, you know, financial instruments, whether it be investments or life insurance or bank accounts or CDs or mortgages. I mean, this stuff costs dough like it's not free. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, when it comes to investments, uh, people often look the other way or don't, you know, dig deep enough into uh, what those fees uh, look like and what they truly are. And we generally like to say, Matt, that, you know, fees do matter in the absence of value, right? So fees matter in the absence of value. But, you know, what we need to realize is that um, it, as long as there's not, uh, you know, an internal fee plus a, an account fee, uh, which may result in some cases, what we've seen is two and a half to three percent, mm-hmm. uh, which naturally puts a tremendous amount of headwind on the, the money and the growth and the investment. You know, we, we like to talk to clients about, hey, let's let's take a dive. If we're going to be looking at, you know, mutual funds, which is obviously one of the more common investments in the marketplace, uh, there's what's called a 12B1 fee. So it's just a fee that's inside the mutual fund, but yet that fee is not being reported on the statements. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if somebody doesn't take a moment to stop and, you know, look up that mutual fund and then see that it has an internal fee of 1.1, 1.6, maybe 2%, you know, in some cases, then people would never really know what that fee inside the mutual fund really is. But, um, you know, it's important for people to understand that because, you know, higher the fee is going to create less of a return. So sure. we like to talk to clients very uh, truthful and from a position of full transparency so that they understand first what they have. Right. Mm-hmm. So whether it be money in their retirement accounts or their non-retirement accounts. So we like to spend time talking about fees and, and what their current fee is, because a lot of times people have no idea what their fee is. And then, of course, there's you know, more, uh, you know, account level fees, which are like management fees, and those are uh, reported on statements. So uh, sometimes people, you know, drive their attention right to that fee, and they try to, you know, talk to a neighbor or a friend or somebody Mm -hmm. else who um, they have no idea what their financial world looks like and starts to say, oh, how much are you paying for your fee? And how much are you paying for your fee? And it becomes, you know, a pretty uh, silly conversation, because, you know, they have no idea what you know one another has but yet they're talking about fees you know i mean so it's kind of a when you really think about it it's like hey what what are you paying i don't even know what you have but what are you paying you know it's like (laughs) i mean when you think about it it's kind of silly right but that's what happens all day every day well let's keep unpacking this whole idea of of you know investing is different than trading and taking this long term 
because there's philosophical issues, there's risk issues, there's overlap issues. Can you unpack some of that for us? Sure. I mean, I think what uh, you know, we always talk to clients about is allocation, right? Proper allocation, and you know, proper allocation on uh, three hundred thousand dollars should be, you know, you should also apply proper allocation to three million or or three hundred million, right? So, uh, you know, proper allocation uh, by way of diversification should be done, at, you know, on on all thresholds, right? It's just really a matter of how you get there. So, you know, an account that has three hundred thousand dollars in it. Uh, absolutely should not have, you know, three, four or five individual stocks. Like that's just not diversification. Like fundamentally speaking, that is not diversification. That's not going to create uh, a favorable outcome, uh, no matter how good those, you know, few companies are, which they may be the greatest companies right now. But, you know, when they when they move and pull back, like it doesn't create a favorable outcome to the $300,000. But now, when you so, so generally on accounts of you know that three hundred thousand five hundred thousand or even really just under a million, uh, it's hard to get proper allocation and diversification um, using individual securities. You can do it, but there's going to be a little bit of risk, right? A little bit more risk than once you go over like an account with a million bucks in it. Uh, you know when you get to two, three, four, five, seven, twelve million bucks. Uh, you can take on those individual securities and have individual companies that make up most or a big portion of the allocation. So, you know, on the on the on the accounts under a million, you know, it's okay and acceptable to use a mutual fund or an ETF, which provides proper diversification. Uh, but you know, also making sure that those ETFs and/or those uh, mutual funds are not what we call retail shares mm -hmm. as opposed to institutional shares because you know a retail share naturally costs more than uh, an institutional share so you know you can get the same diverse uh, diversification using a mutual fund or an ETF institutional share class versus a retail share class i mean there's a gigantic difference in cost especially if on top of whatever that cost may be there's going to be uh, a management fee, which there, there, there most of the time is, and we think that there should be, um, but there should just be an overall lower cost structure by way of, you know, the management fee and any internal cost that may be uh, in that portfolio to be able to get you the proper diversification, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really, really critical point. And then I think, you know, Matt, what we end up doing is we talk about, uh, you know, what it means to have concentration risk, which a lot of times people own uh, everything in the market, which isn't concentration risk. They just own everything. So how are they going to ever do well if you just own everything? Right. Uh, but sometimes people own uh, a few things and there's a lot of overlap between any one asset class or one, any one company. And they don't really understand it because they're busy working, running businesses and spending time with their families. So they naturally wouldn't fully understand what it means to have too much concentration risk and or uh, stock overlap. But that's why we uh, spend a lot of time with clients first around what they have uh, currently to be able to report into them and let them know what it is that their portfolios, their investments look like with respect to uh, concentration risk and stock overlap. And then if it's something that they naturally did not fully understand and they want to make some changes, we're able to offer some some pretty favorable solutions. But I think 
One other point that I would just make is that um, we talk about standard deviation. So just to keep it simple, if you start with uh, an investment allocation of call it 70-30, 70% being equities, 30% being fixed income. And if we take you know this 08, 09 period of time to current and we see that the S&P has gone up 250%, you know, if you started with a 70-30 portfolio in 08, 09, just as an example, and we look at what that portfolio is today, uh, there's a high probability that that portfolio is no longer uh, 70-30 if you weren't getting proper uh, investment management and you weren't working with a professional and you were kind of just setting it and forgetting it and or trying to muscle through on your own. So there's a high likelihood that it could be 90-10 today, which you know, again, it's been great. Mm -hmm. So that's fantastic that it went from 70-30 to 90-10 and you were able to ride the upside of the market. But, you know, when the market pulls back, now you got 90% of the portfolio exposed to equities. And right. uh, you told me your original investment objective, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years ago was 70%. So the movement away from the original stated uh, investment allocation into a more risky type allocation is you know what industry refers to as the standard deviation. So the lower the standard deviation, the more favorable the outcome to you to allow you to get the results that you want. So Justin, how does all of this? So one of the problems with focusing on a lot of the media and the play-by-play -play that happens at the end of the day after the market closes, tell us how that does or does not play into your own personal economy. Sure. What ends up happening is that people very frequently wake up every morning and say, I've got some old money and I've got some new money that I'm looking to deploy. And they read that morning what they, what they, you know, are exposed to as being the, the, the next best thing. And so it's like, Hey, let me move it from where it was yesterday into this new thing, because, you know, the internet or the newspaper or a podcast or social media or some sort of outlet, some marketing propaganda is telling me that it's going to be good. So therefore must be good. And so what ends up happening is people typically will just move their money in a very blind way and just follow each day what is being promoted. And naturally, if you think about it, I mean, by the time it's being promoted through all the various marketing channels and it gets to the general public, I mean, all the returns on that underlying investment have already been made by the four or five parties leading up to that point, right? So it's like it's diluted in and of itself already. But you know, yet people think they're going to become independently wealthy right. uh, by just running to that new investment and just you know flocking to it and just moving their money to that new marketed investment that you know the media puts out there. But how do you wrap all of this around? So one of the great things about you helping fi people figure out their own personal economy is a lot of what noise everybody else is hearing really doesn't play into your own personal economy. So how 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 do you break that stuff down? I mean, so you did a great job of explaining, well, that there's massive costs that very few people pay any attention to, uh, and then costs or fees are, are really mattering. So they, they really matter when there isn't uh, actual value being provided by the financial services professional. But when you're looking at your own personal economy, what are the things that they need to consider success? And I'm air quoting that. Sure. Rates of return, point blank, are not the only measure of success. So I think we've made that point pretty clear. 
rates of return are important and they are a barometer to which we can use when evaluating right the underlying investment but clearly there's fees there's all these other areas so what we try to do matt is we spend a lot of time with you know people just helping them understand what they have currently because a lot of times no one's ever spent that time with them so just educating them on what they have so they could become really clear on their fee structure and where the taxes could be or where the taxes have been around the around the underlying investment performance um you know and we so so we we spend a lot of time with that and on that conversation and then you know generally i mean i mean it's kind of normal for us to see that people are like well that's not really what i want or that's not really what i understood and so what we then do is say let's focus on the things that you can control which nobody can control rate of return contrary to what people think they can nobody can control rate of return so let's focus on cost let's keep the fees down let's keep them reasonable uh let's make sure that we uh don't have these one-off conversations with you know neighbors or friends or family who who can clearly uh dramatically impact you know your your overall personal economy on a you know over a cocktail at a at a at a, at a barbecue uh let's understand what it means to have uh, proper diversification right and what it means to get to that proper diversification depending upon the underlying account balance let's make sure that you know the the location of the investment whether it be in a retirement account or a non-retirement account is proper when focusing on and understanding the tax implications that would follow from the underlying investment and making sure that the underlying investment whether it be a retirement account or a non-retirement account is you know working more in the context of an overall financial plan making sure it's integrated and coordinated as opposed to having it just isolated and independent and on its own island and not speaking to all other areas so i think that becomes really critical and i think you know when you have somebody that you can work with that understands not just you know how to properly manage the investments but also manage them in the context of an overall plan you know the consumer will win out all the time and and that's where we we really take it from that uh standpoint and i think you know we've uh we, we've developed the way in which we're we're really really uh committed to it and we want to take this consultative educational approach and from that uh the client always wins out and if uh people want to know more about how that product or that process works um should they just reach out to you directly or uh, are we going to cover some of that stuff a little bit more deeply about your process and the deliverables and what your clients get uh, in other podcasts? We will definitely take a deeper dive into those areas. They could always refer to our website, uh, www.bennettfg.com. They can follow us on social, the likes of LinkedIn or Facebook. Um, you know, they they could they could start to see that what we talk about on these podcasts is just how we behave a hundred percent of the time with all of our clients and with all the people that we speak with. So uh, we look forward to, you know, taking a deeper dive into some more of these other areas in future episodes. And I think this was, uh, this was a good, this was good time spent, Matt. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your brain today, Justin. I appreciate it. Thank you. Registered representative of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. 
1150 Raritan Road, Cranford, New Jersey, 07016. Securities, products, and services offered through PAS, a registered broker-dealer. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. Bennett Financial Group LLC is not affiliated with Guardian. PAS is a member of FINRA and SIPA. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Bennett Financial, and opinions stated are their own.